Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to another episode of MedHeads. And today we've got with us Dr. Jesse Zanker. Hello, Jesse. How are you? Hi, Fergal. Well, thank you. So, Jesse, you're a geriatrician, gerontologist. Which, what's the correct terminology here in Australia? It depends on which country you are in, but as you said, we're in Australia. So, geriatrician is the correct uh, terminology. The, the gerontologist is more of a, a USA uh, type approach. Right. right. So, you're a geriatrician, and that means what to the lay public? So, that, that means that I'm a doctor, first and yeah. foremost. Uh, and trained in the specialist care of older people, but also mm-hmm. people with complex conditions and disabilities that might occur at a younger age. So yeah. while often people refer to older age as 65, but we now know that 75 is the new 65 as the population ages and hopefully with a bit more degree of health, uh, the, the, the criteria around that has shifted. So we, we make sure we care for people of, of all ages if if they could benefit from geriatrician services. Yeah. So it's people with chronic diseases, complex care needs who need coordinated care at a specialist level. And that's that's where you come in, isn't it? Well, you articulated it better than I did, Fergal. So thank you. Well, that's, I, I just learned from the great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesse, we're very fortunate to have you on the show today. And thanks for coming on. But I just wanted to chat to you about the you know covid so my first question is to you what were you doing and what were you thinking in march 2020 when scott morrison said the covid pandemic was upon us like most i was a little perplexed as to what this would mean for our patients but also myself uh, i'm yeah. a co-director of a medical practice uh, that works in both residential care and out of GP clinics in both metropolitan Melbourne and rural Victoria. Mm-hmm. So I had multiple layers of what we had to consider working for our patients and clients, but also protecting staff and really in this vortex of information where no one really knew the weight of what was happening, how quickly it would happen and how rapidly it would change the landscape in which we were working. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think everyone was taken unawares. I, I was personally shocked at just how quickly we all transformed and, and our society just had to make such a huge pivot shift into lockdown and changing the way that we think and reorganizing uh, services and, and the delivery of services. And of course, there was the first wave, wasn't there? So h- how did your service adapt to, to the exigencies of that first wave? What did you specifically do? Well, I suppose in thinking about uh, what the impact on us was, there was a term before I dive into our services, unprecedented, that was being used a lot early in the pandemic. And while it was unprecedented for Australia at that point in time, we had a number of warning shots from the international community uh, about what was going to happen, particularly in the aged care space. So those working in the aged care space were quite nervous because we saw what happened in Italy, particularly in in residential aged care facilities and the huge impact that had there and in the States. And that was before it really properly hit Australia. So geriatricians across the country were nervous. 
and we were nervous and trying to provide the best care for our patients and residents, particularly in residential care, but knowing that our presence in the facilities might be causing potentially harm as we could be carriers of that infection. So balancing the need to provide ongoing care with the risks of transmitting infection when there wasn't enough mm. testing around, not enough personal protective equipment made that tremendously yeah. difficult. Yeah. So you, you've alluded to, you know, no testing, not enough testing and not enough protect, uh, protective personal equipment, PPE. I mean, what, 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 how did it change your service, first of all? And then we can go on to, you know, how did you deal with the difficulties of lack of resources, really? Absolutely. And so th we're talking about the pre-vaccination era, which is different yeah. for us than the uh, post-vaccination era or what we're in, in the vaccinating era right now. Yeah. And it does change the game a lot. Um, in terms of PPE, we wanted to ensure that our staff were protected and there was inadequate supply. We know supply chains across the world were disrupted and there was uncertainty about what worked. Back then, yeah. there's something called mask fit testing, which if you're working in COVID exposed places, uh, you get tested for all different types of masks. You have to bend and move in different um, ways and speak and then read a passage to see whether air is escaping, thus potentially infecting yourself. So we didn't have all of that then. There were so many unknowns and so many supply chains were disrupted. So we shifted a lot of our work to telehealth. Uh, where it was possible. We know that particularly in residential aged care, uh, the staff were already run off their feet trying to care with residents. And many staff were off work as well because of furloughing or exposure or burnout. And so providing telehealth takes a staff member off the ground. And so while we wanted to provide that service, um, it requires a lot more coordination. And balancing yeah. the need to provide care for our residents with those challenges has been a difficulty since the pandemic has started and it hasn't fully uh, been resolved as, as we continue to see cases in the community and ongoing risks to residents. So the, the first wave really did affect the elderly disproportionately more so than other tranches of society. Can you, can you talk us through why that might have been and what, what, uh, what we did as a society to help that situation? There are numerous reasons why the elderly were more affected. Firstly, uh, the living circumstances that they're in, particularly in residential care, are often not set up for preventing infection between residents. They're very communal environments. There's poor ventilation. There's also a, a staff base that, while there are trained in aged care services, not necessarily trained in infection prevention. Then you yeah. think about the individual characteristics of, of older people. Uh, they may have multiple medical conditions, making them more vulnerable to infection, and they have decreased reserves to fight infection if they get that infection. So there was a lot of debate, many, many listeners will remember last year about when people were dying, unfortunately, from COVID, particularly in residential care. There was a lot of debate about this term, this expression, did someone die from COVID or did they die with COVID? And the two, the distinction is important because we did hear a lot of people saying, well, a lot of politicians particularly saying that people were dying with COVID, uh, not from it. I, I had the first-hand experience of working in residential aged care facilities that were outbreak facilities. And I can certainly say that many people who unfortunately did die from COVID wouldn't have died at that time. Mm if they didn't have COVID, they might've had some, a shorter time to live than we would have liked, 
but mm. uh, without it, but they didn't have to die then in, in, in that way. Yes, and such such sophistry really has diminished what I would see as the urgency of the message of the harm that COVID causes in society, hasn't it? It's 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 almost said, oh well, you know, if you're if you're not if you're not elderly, if you're not vulnerable, you'll be fine. That's what I'm hearing from the difference between from COVID and of COVID. Exactly right. I think that's a, a, a very um, astute observation. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a. I think this the attempts to make this distinction, I think, diminish uh, our our the, the, the medicines attempts to actually um, push forward the agenda for the need for further uh, protection against COVID. But you, you know, in a different forum, Jesse, you said to me something that struck me really powerfully, which was that last year when you were working in the uh, hospitals in the hospital system, you said to me that the, the, the patients you were looking after who were dying were the elderly unvaccinated. But that's not so true now, is it? That's the, the, the thing has changed now, hasn't it? It has completely changed in our country. No. Uh, I think, think you only need to turn on the news to see the proportion of people that are in hospital now, and sadly, yeah. that it's a vast majority are unvaccinated. And they're younger. So those that yeah. are in hospital that are older, yeah. vaccinated, they tend to be in hospital because of containment reasons. So they might be from a residential care facility and vaccinated. And in order to contain that infection from spreading to co-residents, they're brought to hospital. They're not particularly unwell. And I can speak from personal experience. I'm currently working in a, in a metropolitan Melbourne hospital uh, in an acute aged care team. And we are looking after patients with COVID and some of them, most of them aren't that unwell because they're vaccinated. And our main role compared with last year, where we were the, as geriatricians, as an aged care service, providing care for, for older people who were very sick from COVID uh, is different now. Now our job is to try to ensure that there's good people are being sent home from hospital as soon as possible to make mm. space for younger unvaccinated people that unfortunately yeah. at the moment are sitting in ambulances on ramps waiting to get in. Yeah. So the the disease has shifted and it's shied away now from vaccinated elderly patients really to unvaccinated younger patients. Now a lot of patients that I speak to with vaccine hesitancy, they one of the key messages that they tell me is they say, I'm young, I'm fit, it's never going to affect me. And what do you say to that? Well, what do I say to them? Um, I think... What would you say to me if I said to you, you know what, Jesse, I don't need a vaccine, I'm young. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to be able to say to you that I'm young? <laughs> I'm 25, I've got no comorbidities. I don't need the vaccine, Jesse. I'm going to just, it'll just be mild... I don't need it. What do you say to me? The first thing I want to do is understand the person more. So I think yeah. in, at the moment, people in general are really sick of being told what to do. There's a lot of that going around, whether it's being told um, to be in lockdown, uh, which we know has saved thousands of lives in our country. But people are being sick of, told, of being told what to do. There might be hesitancy that's driven by uh, not believing the science or not understanding the science, of not trusting Western medicine, of not trusting the process by which vaccines were approved. 
and and those those reasons might be overlapping. So I think in the circumstances that you um, described, Fergal was of a younger person who doesn't believe that they are at risk of harm. Yeah. And so I, I, I'd like to explore that further to understand what risk they think that might be, because unfortunately we do know that younger unvaccinated people are currently very unwell with COVID in hospital. And yeah. many have already died, not just in Australia, but across the yeah. world, taken many lives far too soon. And now yeah. we have a way to prevent that. But once understanding the person more, I'd like to explore what they understand of the risk of them passing it on to someone they love, whether it's a partner, whether it's a relative, whether it's a grandparent, an auntie and uncle, and, and how they would feel if, if they knew that they'd done that and would they be regretting their decision? At, at, at the moment, speaking with colleagues in hospital, we know there's a lot of vaccine regret. So on those who chose not to be vaccinated, when they're very sick, really tragically about to be ventilated, many are saying, can you please give me the vaccination? And tragically, that is too late. Absolutely. Now, while that's really hard to hear, it's important to share and it's not to scare people into doing something that they don't want to do. As I said before, I think as health professionals, it's really important that we explore the reasons behind hesitancy because everyone has their own reasons and telling people to do something against their will um, without understanding their reasons behind means we're not really getting to the heart of why there might be that hesitancy there. Mm. I think um, it's really important to understand that I, there is no way of predicting which young fit individual is going to succumb to a severe illness from COVID and which young fit individual is just going to, you know, uh, brush it off like water off a duck's back. You know, there, are, there aren't diagnostic tools that we can use to predict the response to exposure to COVID. So, yes, most young fit individuals will get better. But, you know, we know that one to two percent of people are going to die from COVID when, even when they're young and fit. So, you know, that, that for me, that, that's a very important message to to uh, take to, to give to people who, who come to me who are young, fit and healthy and demonstrating vaccine hesitancy. The other thing that I think is really important to get over to people is the narrative has had to change about the, the, the harms associated with COVID. Because when, when first COVID came out, you know, it wasn't quite so transmissible and it wasn't quite mm. so lethal. But would you comment now on the Delta and in terms of its transmissibility and its lethality compared to the original variant of COVID? Absolutely. I think they're two important messages that you mentioned. Mm. But the game yeah. has changed, as you say. Yeah. The way in which a virus develops is to spread faster and evade the way you treat it. And so as science and nature's pretty amazing the way it can do this, this and evolve so quickly, particularly when you've got mass infections. Uh, Delta has shown us that it's far more um, transmissible and surprisingly, it's actually more deadly um, and it's affecting younger people more readily in very rapid ways. The time when people get exposed to when they become infective, so that means they can infect others, has shrunk compared to the original strain. So the game has completely changed. And, and on that, you, you mentioned that, you know, we don't know who 
um, is going to become really unwell with COVID. That is true, whereas last year we could predict that more. But another mm. thing to note on that on that term, I suppose, there's, there's also a, an expression going around about COVID not discriminating. Um, yeah. it, it does discriminate in ways and it discriminates along socioeconomic lines. So those people who are essential workers or in areas that are more disadvantaged, unfortunately, are often more vulnerable to becoming infected by virtue of their living circumstances. They might not be as able to work from home. They might have more essential work in, in delivery or logistics or cleaning. And so that mm. makes them more vulnerable as well. So I think, you know, COVID can discriminate in terms of who it infects along um, socio and economic lines. But mm -hmm. in, in one sense, it doesn't discriminate on who will become severely unwell. Yeah. But what we do know is that vaccines they may not stop actually catching the infection, especially with Delta variant. They, they, they may not prevent infection, but they do prevent us getting sick from COVID. Would you care to speak to that? Yes. Yeah, so, so we know that the vaccines, uh, the, where they most have their greatest impact is on those who are less likely to experience severe, severe illness. They, yeah significantly protect from that. So a lot of the numbers we're seeing now, they might be of vaccinated people, but they're not the ones who are going to get sick and get in hospital and become really unwell and may succumb to COVID. Uh, the, the numbers vary and they sometimes can be difficult to interpret, but 95% and above on present, preventing severe illness across the age span, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So that's a really interesting point that, that there's really two sets of numbers that we need to look at. We need to look at the total numbers and then we need to look at the numbers of hospitalized or worse. Because what we're seeing now then is that the, the total numbers perhaps reflects the transmissibility throughout the entire population, including those who are now vaccinated. Whereas the hospitalizations reflect really how it's spreading through the unvaccinated population. Is, is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly what you're hearing. And yeah. it's hard to, to gauge from the numbers. Yeah. We often see a lag. So you might have um, a, a big spike in numbers, but we don't see those numbers in translate to hospital admission until yeah. days a week, maybe even two weeks later. Yeah. We also know that um, in certain populations where there is vaccine hesitancy, there might be mistrust of the health system. Mm -hmm. Some people we know also experience a bit of shame that they haven't been vaccinated uh, and may present later to be tested too. And so they may present more unwell. So what we're seeing in hospital now is people not getting a test, being at home and then becoming unwell to and, and going to hospital, we're actually seeing a lot of people present to hospital sick and we diagnose them with COVID in hospital. Yeah. And that's yeah. happening in, in significant proportions now. And, and in fact, there have been cases of people dying at home uh, when they haven't been able or they haven't felt able to get the COVID test because of that shame. That's correct. I think yeah. um, it's, it's over 20 across the country that have... Mm. Yeah. tragically died at home without medical support and in, in very sad ways. Yeah. Now, Jesse, I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out, right? <laughs> and I'm going to give you the scenario. So um, we're, we're filming in Victoria. So this is really a question about your views about what's going to happen in Victoria. So when we get to 80%, either above 16 or above 12, 
the government of Victoria is going to, or has pledged to release restrictions, stop restrictions. So we're all going to be free and mobile. We're going to learn how to live with COVID. Now, the projections that I've seen, I, I'm led to believe or I've, that, that, that certainly by Christmas Day, we're not, we, we are going to be able to have our friends around and share, share Christmas dinner with our friends and family. What do you think is going to happen on Christmas Day when we're all sitting around the table and 80% of us have been double vaccinated? Fergal, I don't think, uh, at least in my family, I can predict what happens on Christmas Day outside of COVID. <laughs> Anything can happen. Everyone knows that on Christmas Day. Yeah. Uh, I think it's first important to reflect on how important social connection is. And people have found new ways to connect by obligation, by, by virtue of lockdown, whether it's yeah. been on FaceTime. But people are really hungry for that that connection with their loved ones again. And yeah. I think everyone is going to be quite overwhelmed with that excitement. It, to enable us to all enjoy ourselves to the full extent and to support your family, because often Christmas is not just a single generation event. Many people celebrate the festive season uh, with multiple generations, each of whom will be have different levels of vulnerability or risk if they were to become infected. So I think Christmas can be an event to be celebrated if we get vaccinated. And that's, yeah. that's I suppose, a choice uh, that you can, that each individual can make and, and decide to, to give their family the gift uh, and not hopefully not a COVID gift, but a gift of the fact that they've taken an effort upon themselves, even if they might've been somewhat hesitant to, to yeah. protect their loved ones. Yeah. It's such a difficult time and, you know, you've used the word unprecedented. My gut feeling is that we are never going to go back to the to pre-COVID times and pre-COVID mores. We are, our lives are going to be changed forever. We're, we're, we're never going to get back to the freedoms that we took for granted prior. I, I, that's just my personal opinion. What, what do you think? We're, we change forever because of this. Um, yeah. We, we won't get back to the way that we were. We're going to be more cautious. And in some, some ways, we're going to be better people, I think. <clears throat> I think certainly after doing the work last year and seeing so much loss and so much tragedy, it personally affected me in a way that it's really important to cherish the relationships you have, enjoy life while you've got it, but also care about others and protect it and protect each other. So I think yeah. it's really focused on what's really important in life. And I think many yeah. people have experienced that there's going to be a huge shift, I think, in the way many people act. It will be yeah. overwhelming for a lot of us, a lot of us coming out of lockdown, really excited to see other people, but out of practice socially. I think those who have had picnics already have certainly experienced that where there's so much you want to share with others, uh, but you but find themselves um, out of practice. <laughs> so I think we're going to take some time to, to transition in, into what will be our new normal of the way we interact with each other, the way we care yeah. for each other. Yeah. Jesse, thanks so much for your pearls of wisdom. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Fergal. Look forward to chatting too. That's all for today's MedHeads. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong and we'll see you next time. Thank you.